You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now? A practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. And welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt. I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestors, all your ancestral helping spirits, and to my ancestral helping spirits, to those people who lived before us, those people who bring all that is good and true and beautiful from our ancestral lines out of the reconciliation of their own lives. These people have learned as humans are intended to learn in their lifetime and they bring this rich legacy of that learning to us to help us to know what is not wise to do and help us to know what is actually helpful and to help us to discern the difference as well as understanding what is our time opening up for us uniquely to step into to be the innovators of our own time. And so for the unique way that our own ancestral helping spirits support us in that discernment, in that challenging work of our life, I give enormous gratitude to these people that have gone before us. And I thank them for helping us, the living, to step up in our own time and to do what needs to be done for those who are coming. And at the same time, it's critical that we reach beyond the humans to our even more ancient ancestors that do not have human form, never have, and never will. They were here long before there was ever a human and will be here long after. So I reach out to all the rest of life here on earth in all the many forms, that great diversity of that original spark of life manifest around us in such beauty and diversity. And I call out to these energies of the natural world to help us to sink into our own true nature so that we are no longer lost in the distraction and running after the next shiny thing and the intellectual cycling of our own mind, but can drop into our heart and remember why we were called into this dream. And to settle deeply into the blessing that human beings were meant to be on the face of this earth. And so for the unique way in which the non-human ancestors help us to remember who we are deeply, I give great thanks. And as these ancestors and their many forms come in and gather around us, let us gather ourselves from whenever we might be into our head. Take a nice deep breath and bring ourselves down into our heart. Another nice deep breath and bring our awareness down into our belly. Let us extend our awareness down for a moment to the earth herself. This place that we all call home, that we all share. And we give gratitude for our life. Gratitude for this day and all that it holds for us. All of the possibility for the enormous generosity in the earth's dreaming. That has got things all sorted out so that we can change anything as long as we are still breathing. We give gratitude to the earth 
for the simple, pure, profound wonder of life itself. And as we take in that gratitude for being alive, let us move our awareness down into the layers of the earth, letting our gratitude pour out from our heart as we move down through layer after layer after layer into the very deep essence of the earth. And let us reach into power that draws its strength from darkness, stillness, silence, solitude. From these things that help to generate deep, deep awareness and peace. The capacity to arise again for that which was too much for us the day before. Let us settle into this energy that allows us to nourish, to renew, to restore. And then let us reach deeply into that energy and draw it up. As our energy goes down to ground into the earth, let us draw the earth energy up all the way up through all the layers of the earth into our body, into our belly. And we call out to this energy absolutely filled with the wisdom of manifestation to teach us how to be here in form in a good way and how to be here in form in a good way with all the other living things that are here in form. And so we ask the energy of the earth to help us to understand who we are, where we stand and what we stand for, to have the courage to feel deeply into what has heart and meaning and to build our sense of home and family and belonging not mindlessly on tradition or national boundary lines, but on that which has true heart and meaning for us in our life and to take action, to build a life on these things. And as we do this, may we come into right relationship with those we would label other. Because that can teach us how to come into right relationship with the aspects of ourself that we've labeled as other. Right relationship with our environment, right relationship with all the living things around us, and right relationship with the invisible world. And as we extend out and open to the many, many layers that we are in relationship with life, let us have that blessing of that moment of connecting into the oneness and knowing our place in that great all that is. And let us draw our sense of right relationship from our place in the oneness. And let's draw that energy up from our belly to our heart, our heart to our mind. Let our awareness move up and out into the sky above us, whatever weather it holds, connecting into the reality of your life as you move up and out through the actual atmosphere, out into the cosmos and beyond, into the very essence, energy of this highest power of the universe, that which draws its power from light from blessing and brings us protection. So let us call out to that energy, see ourselves in this divine radiant energy and it in us, and to draw this energy down through all the layers of the sky, the cosmos, the atmosphere, the sky itself, into our head, our heart, our belly, and sending it down to the earth. And in this way, we call blessing into our day. We call in protection. We call in inspiration illumination and the benevolence of our universe we call these energies in so that we might become that lighthouse in someone else's storm and so that we might open our eyes to see believe and trust 
in that lighthouse we find in our own. And so we give great gratitude to those things that shine in the dark. And we call them in. We connect the sky to the earth and the earth to the sky right through our own center channel. And as these big, great legendary lovers connect within us, let their love awaken the spirit of our own human heart. And may we awaken in that human heart the crucible of transformation that is the place in which we come to understand through the passions of our belly and the clarity of our mind as these two very dynamically different energies come together. We come to know through that friction, through that challenge, through that dynamic dance, who we are and why we are here as a memory, as an insight, as an intuition, as a promise. And let us connect to that energy in our heart and find the courage there to do something in this day, large or small, to bring those unique gifts of why you are here, to bring those into manifestation in the world. And for the gobs and gobs and gobs of spirit help that we have to do that, more than we could ever imagine, more than we could ever use, I give enormous gratitude. May what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard and may these proceedings be good for all living things. So for those of you who are listening for the first time, Why Shamanism Now is listener supported. And that means listeners like you donate generously um, from their own hearts, whatever they choose to and whatever currency they choose to as a way to give back, as a way to complete the circle of energetic exchange. And so if these shows, this show, any other shows you might find in the archive are meaningful to you in any way, if they move you in the heart, even if they move you to irritation, to explore something you didn't even want to know about, whatever that is, it is still a movement in the heart. And I ask you to do that core shamanic thing to allow that which moves your heart to motivate your actions in the world. And I invite you to do something large or small to help why shamanism now to grow, to stay on the air, to keep the archives available free to anyone who can access the show uh, through the internet. And for those of you that don't know, the show is available at co-creatornetwork.com. Our producers, they are available on iTunes. In fact, there's so many shows now, they're not even all available on iTunes. But the full archives are available at co-creatornetwork.com and at whyshamanismnow.com. And if you'd like to comment on the shows, you can go to the Facebook page for Why Shamanism Now. So for all that you do to help the show to grow, those of you that are dedicated listeners and bring these teachings into your own work in the world, I'm deeply grateful. Thank you. So today we are live and today's topic is peace, justice and shamanic activism. So if you're new to Why Shamanism Now, I encourage you to dive into some of the other shows in the archives about shamanic activism because today's show is a little bit riding on their shoulders, I have to admit. Um, And with that said, that being our topic, we are live today. So if you have questions about today's topic, you are welcome to call in at 512-772-1938. Or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site. You can Skype in live. Um, You're also welcome to email me at any time at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. 
And so today's show is my effort to respond to a couple questions from a couple different listeners around um, this challenge that I've been feeling myself, that I um, am joined many other shamanic teachers and practitioners in, in endeavoring to meet at this time, which is how do we embody our shamanic practices in a more realistic, deep, lived way so that we can begin to use these practices to meet the systemic challenges of our time, not just the challenge of our own personal healing, our own personal creating balance in our life, but the things that are systemic, uh, systemic systems, systemic um, organizations in our lives of injustice, um, of uh, environmental uh, damage of economic disparity, these systems that are, are much larger than our own personal issues, and yet we all have a place in that dynamic. Okay, so this is, this is really where the shamanic activism, from my perspective, needs to begin to be more potently active in a more organized way. And I am not alone in this. This is the thing that I sit around and talk about with my own peers and colleagues. So it's not like I'm a lone lighthouse in the storm here. So like I said, today's show, I'm going to be answering some listener questions. But I also want you to understand that I picked these questions because they're kind, they're universal questions. And the people who ask these questions are actually very dedicated and sincere practitioners, that these questions don't at all limit their particular understanding, but they're articulated in a way that I think have been helpful for me to think through these things and to offer a show that is truly about peace, justice, and shamanic activism. In other words, what do I see needs to happen in this realm of shamanic activism for us to actually collectively begin to move forward to truly manifest something we might really recognize as peace or a culture we might really be able to recognize as just. Um, All right, so many of you who are regular listeners know that last month, which would be March of 2018, I hosted an event called Moving into the Deep Water. And in that event, we talked about a shamanic concept from the Dagra people of um, West Africa via Maladoma Patrice Somme, a, a contemporary teacher. And this teaching talks about the blue water as the shallow water of life. And this is where we move in um, our actions, are are transformational and healing, and yet also very much kind of sustaining the overall status quo. And the transition between the blue water and the deep water or the black water um, is where we actually begin to realize that there are deeper reasons for what is going on around us. So we're beginning to look not just what's going on within me, but what's going on around me. And we're looking – noticing those deeper reasons for things out in the world and then this reflection then allows us to see the deeper reason for things within ourselves we might not have looked at otherwise. So I'm not trying to be obtuse. So in other words, 
the way in which experiencing the Me Too movement has caused men and women to look at different things within themselves. So that's what I mean by something happening that's bigger than you that in its clarity offers a reflection in you might not have seen before that opens up your awareness to potential healing or transformation you might not have noticed, might have just taken for granted for the rest of your life because all of us tend to normalize ourselves. We are for all for each of us, we are our own normal. There's kind of no way around that. And so we need reflection often to see what we're out of the habit of seeing. Okay, so moving right along, we there is a show actually called Moving into the Deep Water as well as a, a webinar and a piece of work that I did kind of in an online platform out in the world. All right, so anyway, the point is blue water and black water. So the black water is the deep water. This is where we can no longer touch the bottom. We are no longer in control. It is where we must surrender ourselves to the water itself and swim in it. So we need to begin to surrender ourselves to life, to the aspects of life that are bigger than us and will always be bigger than us. We are in over our head and we cannot touch the bottom and we still need to be skillful because this is the place where we can find the root of the deep systemic issues that plague all of us. They plague us differently depending on who we are and where we fit in the system of things, as the system has been designed by people. You know, it's not a divine plan. It's been designed by people with ulterior motives. Okay, so this is the Moving into Deep Waters show. Like I said, it's in the archive. And the point of looking at this is to ask us today as contemporary practitioners, are we really doing in our time what shamans of the past did in their time because traditionally shamans were activists and for people that don't um well basically for people that do their research about shamanism online in contemporary teachers websites you're not necessarily getting a realistic deep dive look into what shamanism was like pre-contact before colonization. It takes some digging to get to that information. Um, And there are many books out there that are a resource to that, including the Encyclopedia of Shamanism um, that you can access through my website. Anyway, my point is traditionally shamans have always been activists. It is the role of the shaman to see where the people that they serve have lapsed from whatever the cultural definition of well-being is. And by cultural, I mean the, the traditions that have proven over time to manifest the best possible human being. And this is one of the things that you can see, that different shamanic cultures talk about it differently. So in the Southwest they talk about of North America, they talk about the Red Road the good red road. Others talk about the way. Others talk about um, the luminous people. And there are many different ways it's referred to, but basically what it's referred to is people that practice what the community teaches 
that are the practices that allow an individual human being to maintain their best self and to live as their best self. And that um, shamans in many cultures mediated this between the spirits and the people because where do you think these best practices came from? These best practices came from the spirits themselves and often in the cultural stories of these first people the spirit that brought those best practices was the first shaman and the first shaman was only half human half human half spirit so anyway those are other shows about that back to this show today so this is the question are we as contemporary shamanic practitioners doing in our time what shamans of the past did in their time my personal feeling and, and, and that I share with many of my peers is no, we're not. That we are splashing around in the blue water, which is very transformational, but we've basically put our shamanism into that box of personal health and well-being. And what, what, what we're inviting people who want to, to do, who have already started to notice this push from their own helping spirits, is to work with spirit. Um, so proactively working with spirit as the guides for the necessary learning that the people need to learn from their own mistakes and the collective movement of people forward to establish a good relationship with all living things. And so it's about recognizing that the status quo is failing us and that we as the people need to change to do a big collective upgrade of what we see as our status quo. And the shamanic work has always been this work of transformation and rebalancing. Transformation and rebalancing. Okay. So, I believe that this remains our role. And that to take action to manifest needed changes for the good of all living things. But how do we do that in our real world and our real time? I do actually believe that like shamans of the past, that we are born to be the answer to the prayers of our ancestors. That we are the medicine for our time. But what does that actually mean? How do we actually do that? This is, this is I feel, the question that's not being deeply asked. What does it mean for you in your mundane, for me in my mundane day-to-day life, in the life or in our life most ecstatic? So we had an author, author and psychologist, Rachel Harris, on the show recently to talk about her book, which was called Listening to Ayahuasca. And she states very clearly from her experience with ayahuasca, which is extensive, um, that we as contemporary people have very different expectations for our shamanic work than our ancestors did. For example, for indigenous ayahuasca people, users, that they seek physical healing, social rebalancing, hunting magic, love magic, and for some even what we would consider sorcery or kind of manipulation magic. Okay, for contemporary ayahuasca users, um, they're basically looking for psychological healing and spiritual growth. Well... That's not exactly what the relationship between ayahuasca and the people is about. And so this is the thing is we we are coming to this traditional work 
with a very uh, self-centered goal, which is an appropriate place to begin in the sense that we need personally to transform and rebalance. And then the next step isn't to become a shaman yourself or write a book. The next step is then to begin to deeply embody these teachings as a way to live and to live differently, to begin to change the actual status quo that led to the problems in the first place. So I am asking us as contemporary shamanic practitioners, what is it going to take for us to step into our role of activist? And I don't mean this as a challenge. I'm not like challenging who's going to step up as an activist. I really mean this as a question. We don't know the answer to this and we need to investigate it with the help of spirit. And so I'm exploring, I personally, for me, I'm exploring this answer with people who are working with me in these new online classes that I'm doing. And the first thing that we're looking at is our role as a human. Like what is our role as a person with free will? Because I feel like this is a really unsexy part of the work. It's not fashionable. It's not faddish. It doesn't fit into a lot of the new age ideas. And yet without it, we will fail. Because without it, we are not actually understanding what is our role as the human in relationship to our helping spirits. Okay, so it just – it never ceases to amaze me how people who are otherwise conscious, spiritual, educated, engaged don't think about this. That if you accept that we have free will, which m most people do do in the sort of spiritually conscious circles, um, you, it is important for you to think deeply about what does that mean then in my own actions in the world? What does it mean is my responsibility in life and what is actually spirit's responsibility? This confusion is Easily 50% of what I see in the emails I receive from people asking what is going on with their shamanic whatever is that there's complete lack of insight or education into what is the role of the human in the relationship with spirit. Okay, so for indigenous people, it was pretty obvious what that role was because as human beings – were the only living things around when people lived pretty much in their um, natural system. So human beings were the only beings around that could choose not to be themselves. That other beings learn, other beings adapt. I mean, just watch a crow for a while or a raven. Beings, other, other animals grow, they adapt, they learn, they change. Some even use tools. I mean – Otters use tools, right? But humans can actually shut down their true na nature and manifest a whole life that has nothing to do with who they really are and nothing to do with what serves their best interest, right? We watch people vote all the time against their best interest in democracies. What's that about, right? And that people uh, have nothing to do can make choices that has nothing to do with the conscious thought around their long-term survival. So anything that has to do with engaging in pollution fits in that category. 
right? And we've been doing it for decades. Humans have been doing it for, well, decades, hundreds of years, right? And so indigenous people saw pretty clearly, obviously, we influence, we humans influence the world in a way that is different from other living things. Now, granted, this is a bit of a backwards argument, but it's still the most pervasive proof that we have something other living things don't. Okay, so this is this issue of free will. And I don't mean go Google it and get into all of these complex and obtuse religious explanations of it. I mean just this natural observation of human beings and how they affect their world and how they are capable of stepping out of what is obviously the in the best interest of the whole ecosystem and just do their own thing, even if it's not good for them. Okay, so once we accept that and actually think about it for three minutes – we get to the next three things in pretty quick succession. Okay. So if I am a being with free will, then number one, I am manifesting all the time through my actions and non-actions, and there is no off switch. That is a massive responsibility. Okay. Number two, this then makes the right use of my will absolutely critical. If I'm going to call myself a person of integrity by anyone's definition of integrity. And then number three, if I personally want the freedom to express my will, then I must support everyone's freedom to express his or her will. Okay, so those are the first three things that come pretty quickly once you start thinking about it. Then we get confused. This part begins because now we step into the piece that begins to stir morality and ethics. And when we start stirring natural movement into morality and ethics, people start freaking out. So what we notice is that your expression of your free will will slop over onto my expression of my free will and vice versa. So what gives, right? So what that means is we have to move on to this last big piece of understanding around free will. Free will cannot be used to just say everybody gets to do whatever they want because you haven't finished the thinking. You haven't closed the loop yet on this thinking, which is a responsible adult use of free will requires because I understand that my expression of my free will could slop over onto yours and could ultimately get in the way of your ability to exercise your free will and express your dest and move towards your destiny as you understand that. Okay. So this requires that I do not stand in the way of the free will of any other living thing on life in in life. And I do not get in the way of the movement of life towards its own destiny, of the different aspects of life towards their destiny. That I'm responsible for moving towards mine. But I am also responsible for doing so in a way that does not cut off that destiny for others. And so if we're not willing to tend this boundary around the use of free will and understand no one can do whatever they want because of the whole slopping over thing, right? Everyone has to pay attention to the interconnections and interrelationship here. And so – We aren't acting as adults and taking responsibility for our free will 
if we're not being aware of this issue, this boundary issue with free will. So, so it's important. You can't start throwing free will around without this whole thinking through what that really means. And so there's a question from a listener. And again, I'm using these questions as kind of the every man, every woman question. Um, but the questions are precise. And so I want to respond at using them as these general questions. Okay, so my concern about activism and the quality of life on earth, this is the question from a listener, is that our shared concern and activism to affect change for the betterment of all life is not appreciated nor wanted by perpetrators of ill will nor by the rest of man who say it is a free will planet and the ones who do things we don't like are expressing their free will. So again, using free will as an excuse for behavior that is disrespectful of other life. Okay. So the issue here is this misuse of this whole principle of free will in the first place, that we can only have it free will if we all have it and we all have it equally so already the very question itself isn't a question about free will it is a question about the abuse of power and this is part of our problem with being able to discern what is really going on in our world and direct our shamanic work towards it is we have to diagnose the problem accurately now this, this argument is really common, right? If everybody has free will, what do we do with the people that want to frack the entire earth water system into toxic burning water that no one will ever have anything to drink except paying for it, uh, paying Nestle for it, right, as one potential scenario, right? So what do we do with that? Well, it's not a conversation about free will, if we're just out there at that place of everybody gets to do whatever they want, however they want, whenever they want to do it, that's childish. That is not an adult conversation about free will. It is about having a power and taking no responsibility for it. That's kind of the definition of childhood, and it's appropriate for a child. It's not appropriate for an adult. It's not appropriate for a CEO. It's not appropriate for a shamanic practitioner. It's not appropriate for a politician, period. Right. And so if we're going to address this issue, which is an issue, absolutely is an issue, we have to be name accurately what we're addressing. So we can only have free will if we all have it. So this isn't an issue of free will. It's an issue of abuse of power. So if we are to address this as shamanic practitioners, we have to do two things. We have to be sure we are in integrity with our own use of our free will. So we can't decide because we're on the side of all life, we now get to do what we want. We have to be more clever than that. Um, and so one, we have to be sure that we are in integrity with our use of free will and that we create medicine for the situation that remains in integrity with all these concepts around free will. And this is why I honestly don't believe right now, today, we're the people who can do this. Because we need to get our own free will house in order and understand that being in the right position doesn't give us the right to violate the rules. 
And and so we need to be more clever because it's also not about laying down and letting people beat us up either. And so – and that's a lame argument by the way, that it's either or. It's either my free will or your free will and if I give up my free will, then then I'm just letting you walk over me. That is a 1950s old story argument and there's no way out of it. And so again, my point is that is the status quo thinking. So if we want to be part of a solution in this, we have to move out of that thinking. So this this is kind of the argument that this not argument, but the question this listener continues with is so um, if others want to have it in such a way that it's detrimental to their lives, that's their choice, you know, but they can't make this choice that's detrimental to mine. And I would say, actually, it's not their choice. And this is a piece that shamanism brings in that is not part of the new age understanding. But the piece that shamanism brings in is the understanding because of all of the interrelationships with things. It's nobody's right to damage the world's water supply ever. Anybody's. Right. So how do we begin as a family of humanity on the earth to recognize what our relationship needs to be with our collective water supply. So that's not in our current thinking right now. That's not our status quo. But as shamanic practitioners, if we want to be true, effective activists around fresh water, for example, we have to get there. Because we cannot be the solution to the problem at the level of thinking that created the problem. Okay, so if others behave in a way that is detrimental to my life, human and animal life, or the environment, that is the problem. I agree that's the problem. And what I am asking us to have the perseverance to do is to look at how do we become the people who can actually change this situation without abusing power themselves, even if we believe we are abusing power for the right reason. So let me use an even simpler example. In general, in our contemporary shamanism is focused on the question, am I the shaman? Who gets to be the shaman? When am I initiated? Um, What is a shaman? And that we aren't actually first simply training people to live shamanically, to see if that's really the belief system that brings them to their best person. And so this is what Kelly Harrell has been talking about on several shows in the last couple of years here on Why Shamanism Now and addressing very proactively in her own work is she asks people directly, how can you presume to engage in shamanism and not engage in animism and not engage with life around you? The very, the very other things in the web of life that are in the world around you. And so my point then is if we look at something like the core shamanism template. So you learn to journey and you start a journey circle. And then you go back to the teachings at the Foundation for Shamanic Studies and you learn all the healing forms. You learn about extraction, possession, soul retrieval work, energy retrieval, etc., Then what? And then you what? Become a shaman? Okay. So here is where that model breaks down. It's not sustainable 
because there's no actual life practice supporting the shamanic work. So that's the one thing. But also it breaks down because it's not a safe assumption that everyone who is interested in shamanism is actually called to be a shaman. Because many people are interested in shamanism because it makes sense for how to live their life. But they're not called to be a shamanic healer or the shaman. They're called to be a shamanic practitioner. So my point is, what if this was the model? So you learn to journey and then you learn Medicine for the Earth. And Medicine for the Earth is a book that Sandra Ingerman wrote and published back in 2000. So it's been out for almost two decades. And she has trained probably hundreds of teachers in this practice. And so this is an application of shamanic skills anyone who knows how to journey and cares about the earth can practice. And this practice has direct measurable effect on pollution and other things that are directly distressing the earth energy that we all live in. Uh, In other words, things that have happened at the hands of humans that distress the earth. So, so if that was the model, learn to journey, learn medicine for the earth, use your new shamanic skills to directly affect change on yourself because the medicine for the earth practice involves your own transformation and transformation for the earth. To use this as a way to give back to the very energies that are giving you the power to do your shamanic work. So here's a beautiful example of, this, of the true cyclical nature of shamanism. So this allows you to develop your relationship with spirit, begin to cultivate your, cultivate your animist relationship with what is around you, and, ex- and empowers you to do direct healing in action, you know, spirit, shamanic activism. And it doesn't matter who's the shaman. There's no shaman needed in the process. So why hasn't this become the norm? It's been out for two decades From my perspective, it's a much more realistic path forward for people who want to learn to journey, who care about their own well-being, and care about the earth and the earth being here for their children, but it's not the norm. What is it that keeps us marching down this path that was handed to us by core shamanism as if it is somehow demonstrating a set of best practices? We're not even thinking. I'm not even saying whether it is or isn't. I'm just saying we're not even thinking about whether it is. And so the status quo then, even in shamanic circles, is very problematic. Okay, so moving right along. During the Moving into Deep Water event, our participant asked, will you offer other classes that will build up the community that you were looking for to do deep work? Will you create a platform where the people interested in doing the deeper work can get together to gather and communicate? Okay, great questions. The confusion here is that's exactly what I was talking about doing. And yet the person listening wasn't getting that out of what I was talking about. And so there's a disconnect there. And so I've been actually thinking about this person's questions for quite a while to try to really get at where is the confusion. And I realized eventually, with the help of spirit, that these questions were coming from a a skilled and educated and, and devoted person, but they're based on an assumption that the status quo is fine. 
that we just need a platform to gather and communicate. But my point that I'm trying to make here is that all of this already exists. Platforms exist. Communities united around work of a particular teacher exist. The ability to gather exists. The ability to communicate exists. It all exists now. And the change we need to see isn't happening. So, for example, Sandra Ingerman again. Mostly because Sandy's got the largest global reach, and this is why I'm using her as examples. Um, She's not the only person doing wonderful things in the world, but she does have an enormous global reach. Okay. Uh, And she deserves it. She's worked hard for it. So Sandy, as another example, Sandra Ingerman, has trained hundreds of teachers and communicates regularly, literally, with thousands of people around the globe who are skilled in shamanic practices. And when the pipeline was being protested two Thanksgivings ago, um, two Novembers ago, uh, Sandy got flooded with emails from people asking her to do something, to lead them in something. Now, you see my point is that the people, for all of their training and all of their learning, don't naturally step up and lead. They all go through this herd mentality back to the leader. And to Sandy's credit, she said, I trained y'all. You all do it. Bless her heart. Right. But don't miss my point here. This is not about anybody doing anything wrong around the pipeline. That the leaders who – the true leaders of that movement led well. And that's not my point here. I'm not not making any statement about – the pipeline and that protest and that whole process that is still going on there. I'm talking about how people trained in contemporary shamanism reacted to this opportunity to put their shamanic skills to use, which was to not use their platforms for, for the most part, but to go to Sandy to make it happen for them. Right. And so this assumption that we don't have to change this status quo is our flaw in the thinking, and it's a fatal flaw. We need to look at why we and our work with spirits, we being people that are trained in shamanic skills, aren't the go-to people for solutions, right? Why we don't emerge as leaders. And I say this because In my student community, which is a small group of people that are very dedicated to an extremely demanding four-year training program and thus stay in that community because nobody else understands what the hell they're doing. And so they want to stay together to support each other in doing it. Bless their hearts. I love them dearly. And for the 10 years that we have formally been a community, we still struggle with leaders emerging within the community. And being a leader is one quarter of the teachings. And so my point is the status quo for contemporary people of the Western world is to not step up and lead. Okay, so this listener, just continuing with this line of thought that are on. So this question continues is it just seemed that in the webinar top that the webinar topic jumped from this idea of inviting inviting people to gather to do deep work as a community to the idea of offering a class in a way that didn't flow okay in my mind it is the only possible flow and so this is this is what i'm trying today 
to speak to, um, not, not in a way that's making us wrong, because as I said in the deep water show, we have to get into the blue water and learn our skills before we can go out into the black water. All I'm asking us to do is to start to ask the questions that act- and do the activities that can move us out into that deep water. And the first one is to recognize our status quo has to change. Not their status quo over there, not those other people that didn't vote the way you thought they should, our status quo. The status quo of the people that presume to be in a place where they could use their shamanic skills to go out into the deep water and actually affect a change through shamanic activism. Those people, us, me, we need to change our status quo. And this is because it is very hard for people to understand the level of change that we actually need. And I mean Those of us who have already changed, been transformed, have our lives turned inside out, still need to change or we will remain in the blue water. And we who have skills in the blue water need to lead by moving out into the dark water. And this is my main point. If this would work without sharing teachings, then we would already be doing it. There are great people out there who have been encouraging us to do this now for a decade, and it isn't happening on much of a large scale at all. So what I'm encouraging us to do is to get more conscious about what we're doing and to change our approach, change our expectations, and change our level of personal commitment. And to do that, we need to build trust and intimacy and connection Okay, with people who aren't living right next door. So other than sharing a meal together, which we can't do except with people that are next door to us, I can't think of anything more human than learning together, sharing about it, the trials and tribulations of the learning, the successes, the failures, helping each other, asking for help and being the help the others ask for. And guess what? By learning a very specific set of skills together, we will build that trust and intimacy and connection and change our status quo and begin to move out into the black water together. So that's why, for me, the connection is clear from this idea to how do we do it. We do it by beginning here, at the beginning to get our, our personal skills in order. Okay, so she continues, my question was about getting into how one leads to the other. I imagine it is because we are playing with the unknown of the offering and seeing how things manifest. And my response to that is not really. The offering is known. After 30 years of doing this with people at a pretty high level in my student community, I actually feel pretty clear what we need as a shared skill set. Now, I'm not the only person and I'm not the only version of right, but it is a version. I'm pretty clear about that. How we use it to address the illnesses of our time, that's the interesting unknown part. But how we get to be the people who can do that, now I'm pretty clear about that. That is what I'm offering in a very kind of aggressive set of skills that I'm offering online 
so that we can get there and we can do that. And so I really see this from my own teaching on many levels, the how and the why we're in the blue water and arguing for our rights to stay there and how this um, need, this is in and of itself part of the problem, that we aren't getting to the point of being able to see how we can apply our shamanic practices to the problems that we share in the world. That part is unknown, but why we aren't getting there, it's not such a mystery because people never get around to living the practices. They go learn them, they go to the workshops, but then they don't ever really quite bring them into their life. They don't ever really quite make the changes of bringing them into their life. It's honestly why I shared the last three-part series about getting unstuck because if we're going to change the status quo, if I'm going to change my status quo, we have to get unstuck from it. And it's considerable work to do that. So there is this little awareness yet that we are still really at the first level of the skills because these skills completely changed our lives. But we don't yet actually appreciate that we are still at this first level. We are still in the blue water. And so this is where the very basic energy body mastery skills that are foundational to all the practices um, are important. Back to the investigating free will and what are the basic level skills necessary to align with that. Most people don't have that. It's not sexy. You're not going to make a lot of money teaching it, right? So the next thing is there is a full complement of skills in shamanic work. It is not a la carte. And people have been approaching it a la carte. You know, teacher hopping, leaving a set of teachings just when it starts to create uncomfortable change and moving on to the next teacher. And so what we need also, the third thing, is a cosmology that can unite us in our work. And a lot of people practice their shamanic skills without any cosmology at all to hold it all together. And finally, that as contemporary people, we also need skills that uh, deep that we deeply embody to compensate for the lack of a healthy community and cultural container. So this is what makes us profoundly different from indigenous people is we don't have a healthy cultural container. We will be basically, you know, swimming upstream relative to the status quo around us. And so Back to the listener question. She says, I love the idea of uniting people that can work shamanically to work on collective healing. It's a daunting task, absolutely. And it is very courageous of you to call people in and be open to it. I also imagine that you're counting on people's leadership to step up and show real interest in co-creating this vision. Actually, no, I'm not counting on it because it won't happen. So I'm not counting on it. I'm open to it. And I will certainly draw it in as it happens. I am not close to it, but I'm also not depending on it. Leadership sucks. It is really hard work. And most people aren't going to step into it. And so, no, I'm not counting on it. I'm planning on actually just doing it and inviting people to do it with me. So she continues, um, and, it, you know, and knowing full well that it's not a task for one person. But still, someone has got to be out front getting the bug in their teeth. And that's pretty much what I've been doing my whole life. So why not keep doing it? 
right? So she says, uh, so far, um, I see that this project needs to, at some point, foster people to take initiative as co-leaders instead of following a paid class format that instigates uh, the teacher-student relationship. And so here are really my last two points about this. One, we don't want brand new unseasoned leaders in the deep water. What I would like is brand new unseasoned leaders taking over monthly journey circles and learning to be good leaders, teaching basic journeying, starting to teach the basic classes so that more experienced teachers can start to move into the deeper work. Um, the students in my community continue to deepen their leadership on councils. I'd like to see them being able to truly master the art of leading our community without my constant intervention and learn in that way to be really skilled visionary leaders with deep and wide shamanic skills. But until people have that, you don't want them out there leading in the dark water. And I would also like to see new leaders emerge, take over all the basic teachings Again, so that these seasoned leaders can be freed up to move us into the deep water. And so, so yes, we do need to see leaders, but not in the deep water. They need to circle back and take over the basic stuff so that new people keep getting trained, coming on. And the seasoned leaders are out there helping us to figure out how the hell do we do this thing in the deep water. So that's one point. And the other point I would say here is that this idea of wanting it ultimately to become this sort of free thing that we're just sharing the platform and we're just gathering together and we're just doing this informally, the way that we follow up over any shared teaching that we know and love, that's already happening. And it's beautiful. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And that isn't going to get this work done. So no, I'm not counting on that. I'm not expecting on that. I'm not going to rely on that to make the changes that need to happen for my grandchildren's children. That we need to move out of this idea that free is good. Because what if we really understand shamanic teachings, there is no free. There's no idea that anything is free. Everything is an energetic exchange with something. Everything occurs in relationship with something else and everything is moving in this way. And this is the heart of Aini, which is a concept that comes out of Andean shamanism, which is probably the most thoroughly dispersed, coherent shamanic teaching brought into North America because of the um, visions of those people, that it was their vision from their helping spirits these people of the Andes, to share their teachings with North America. So they're doing it on purpose. This isn't an appropriation issue, that they are giving these teachings to North America to bring balance. And so this, in and of itself, is a, would be a huge change in status quo, to move out of this student-teacher thinking, but to see this whole process as a cycle of Aini, of an energetic exchange, reciprocity, gratitude, embedded in our awareness of the work and what it takes to be in all parts of this work moving forward into the deep water. And I'm running out of time to review Aini for you. But basically, it speaks to orienting your heart to see the beauty and the sweetness around you. Choosing to learn 
is number two. And all that that implies in how you orient in the world, the way you open to learning, the way you actually let go of things you learn are not useful and repeat the things that are useful. And that you choose to act, number three, you choose to act from a place of wholeness and balance and find your right work in the world. Number four, that you choose to see what is not apparent and live in relationship with the larger energies that are not your own personal motivations. And that Aini finally is choosing to be accountable for this flow of energy in an interchange of love and knowledge and work in the physical and non-physical world. So this, living from this place and understanding what we're doing from this place or another version of it, from another shamanic culture, but my point is this is how grossly, as in big, our sense of our status quo needs to change for us to be able to do this work out in the world. And so this circles back to what I said before. In free will, no one is free to do whatever they want to do. Because if we truly understand our life from a shamanic perspective, we understand that nothing is free, that everything is in relationship to something else. And so this is how I would address the systematic issues in a way then that honors life, which can bring us to peace, in a way that breaks no energetic rules of integrity, which brings us to justice and is profoundly effective. And this brings us to shamanic activism. So I want to thank the ancestors for without them, we would be lost at this time on our earth. I give gratitude to the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. I encourage you all to chew on this a bit this week, to look around you to see who else non-human is in your world, and take a moment and give gratitude and open to what there is to learn. Thank you, everyone.